me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. <laughs> You think of Earth as a singular planet. In fact, it is anything but. But this is a story not of the universe, but a multiverse. Where universes and planets, such as Earth, were replicated and mirrored across a vibrating, infinite plane. Some barely different from the next. Others drastically so. This is DC On Screen. Every week, Dave and Jason talk about the multiverse of DC properties on film and television. But be warned, if it's been officially released, you can expect they'll spoil it. Alright, so uh, welcome to DC On Screen. This is episode 431. And, uh, you know, today, uh, this week's been a crazy week uh, in the news. A lot of, um, you know, I'm getting really sick of going onto Facebook. Because Facebook is really pissing me off with these clickbait articles. Like, there's, um, like, I'm a member of a lot of, like, uh, like DC-related groups, and, like, mm-hmm. there's always some jackass in there who's, who's you know, is confirmed and, like, saying some erroneous bullshit that has nothing to do with anything. Sure. Right, Facebook swears um, they're working on this, but it's way more, like, they're worried about geopolitical stuff. They're not to the DC part of working on that yet. Yeah, yeah, so... We kind of got a lot to talk about tonight. Um, Let's do it. Over at Vulture, this person named Abraham Reisman. And this is the film news, by the way. Uh, <laughs> this person, Abraham Reisman, got to interview Diane Nelson and Jeff Johns and a, like a bunch of the other uh, big top dogs over at uh, DC Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at times in this editorial, this guy seems very anti-DC. And then sometimes he seems pretty fair, uh, when he obviously didn't have to be. So whatever, I'm kind of just taking it carefully. Um, but this article has led to people freaking out, uh, thinking about, uh, thinking that, uh, WB was going to stop making the films interconnected. And that's mostly due to bullshit clickbait from websites linking to the article and just kind of quoting it. But here's what's going on. Um, and I'll be reading directly from Abraham's editorial here. Uh, he says the following, They are not giving up on the idea of continuity, but they want to de-emphasize the idea that all of these flicks are occupying the same space. And then Diane Nelson says, Our intention certainly moving forward is using the continuity to help make sure nothing is diverging in a way that doesn't make sense, but there's no insistence upon an overall storyline or interconnectivity in that universe. Which apparently, according to the article, drew nods from the top breasts around her. Jeff John says the movie's not. Uh, Tom at Wonder Woman says the movie's not about another movie. Some of the movies do connect the characters together, like Justice League. But like with Aquaman, our goal is not to connect Aquaman to every movie. The operative word there being every. Um, and then Diane Nelson says, moving forward, you'll see the DC universe being a universe, but one that comes from the heart of the filmmaker who's creating them. I don't think we're looking at anything different than when we've already had. I mean, not every movie no, but I, should be connected to the overall storyline. Sure, but I understand what they're, they're addressing the expectations the MCU has set. 
So I, I get where they're coming from. Yes and no. Like the MCU has, I mean, look at Ant-Man. How much has that really, how much was that really tied into the overall story? Well, he showed really? up in Civil War and he's expected to show up in an Ant-Man 2, Ant-Man okay. and the Wasp 2. Uh, and then he is possibly going to be, actually, I think he's supposed to definitely be in Infinity War. That's not the issue. That's just setting up a character. Nothing that happened in Ant-Man affects Infinity War. Nothing that happened in Civil War really had anything to do with Ant-Man other than he was there for a minute. Um, you established a character. I mean, I think they're just saying that they're just not doing... Like, Aunt Aquaman is not going to be, like, have a bunch of damn mother boxes in it, is what I think they're saying yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, no. I, well, uh, <laughs> I, meant, uh, I meant the expectation. Like, yeah. Uh, it, in the Marvel Universe right now, if you saw a movie, um, you saw it, you, you went on about your day, but as the, as the years have gone by, we've expected, you know, Infinity War. Like, we, we've been looking at this uh-huh. thing for a minute now. And especially since the announcement and since it became a bigger and bigger deal, we expected more out of it. Um, I mean, at this point, if you had told me, like, hey, Doctor Strange isn't going to be in Infinity War, I would have been pissed. Like, come on. Yeah, you've been telling absolutely. me about all this. What, what right. Bring them all in. Let's do it. Sure. So if DC's trying to kind of bank it the other way a little bit, I, I think that sounds like what they were doing is kind of saying like, look, every movie isn't a lead up to another movie. We're gonna uh-huh. do we're gonna do things with these characters that sometimes mm-hmm. are gonna connect to other characters, and that doesn't necessarily mean we're like we're there's not a Justice League movie set in 2021 where all this wraps right. up. I just think people are freaking out because they think that. Suddenly, Aquaman is not going to be in universe, and it yeah is well they're they're doing it on the hills of the news about the Joker a few weeks ago. Where well, actually, this dude talked about that. Yeah, um, he says uh, one of the centerpieces of this new decentralized strategy is an as yet unnamed side label of occasional movies that are completely separate from everything else, set entirely outside the cinematic universe. Total standalones based on good ideas from big filmmakers. Movies that are just movies, not components of a larger piece of of clockwork. The first one they're talking about is a solo outing about supervillain The Joker, said to be directed and co-written by the Hangover and War Dogs alumnus Todd Phillips. John says they'll be announcing the name of this side label, quote, soonish. So we don't have, I mean, this is to be taken somewhat with a grain of salt, I feel, because we don't have a full quote from Jeff Johns or Diane Nelson about any of this. This is what this guy, it's Abraham Reisman is saying. And the only word that he quoted was soonish from Jeff Johns. (laughs) Um, But now, um, you know, he also goes into some interesting stuff about uh, how Jeff Johns and Diane Nelson uh, were basically heading up DC Entertainment. And um, and their role in Man of Steel, uh, they, apparently uh, one person is how they're as how they're uh, referenced here. It says Jeff Johns and Diane were reading scripts, and Jeff Johns, to his credit, was concerned that there was not enough lightness or humor given who the character is. Recalling one person with knowledge of the making of Man of Steel, Jeff definitely raised that point, but that current administration didn't care that much about what Jeff Johns thought. Um, we've often, you know, cited Jeff Johns as being, you know, listed in the credits for like Man of Steel and different, uh, you know, uh, movies, BVS, which apparently he wasn't really consulted with truly on that as well. Yeah. Um, according to this article and according to, uh, the administration that this guy talked to, but when you flash forward to Justice League, uh, 
Apparently, according to the article, DC Entertainment is looking for someone other than Zack Snyder to write Justice League additional photography scenes. Um, Jeff Johns says, Everyone was excited about Joss being a part of DC, and we thought he'd be great to write the Justice League scenes, the additional photography scenes that we wanted to get. Um, And then the guy says, When I asked Johns about the criticism that it seems like there's no strategy, he shows a rare break from his usual uh, buoyancy. And Johns says, Some of the stuff is true, some of it isn't true. When we talk about things or we're making deals for people to develop scripts or whatever, sometimes things leak. Sometimes things are misreported and it's frustrating because we do want to go out there and talk about what our strategy is and this stuff just muddies the water. There's a lot of internal conversations about uh, going on about how do we kind of clean that up a bit. So yeah. I wanted to get to that bit specifically because I think it's important to note that, you know, as we've talked about on this show ad nauseum at this point, Shit is always going to be in development, and you can't just freak out about this stuff because it's, I mean, back in the old days, you just didn't know it was going to happen. You And there's so much stuff that was in development that didn't happen. I mean, go back to our DC films that never happened uh, trilogy of episodes, if you don't believe us. Yeah. Um, I mean, and also in like in an actor's contract, they can do a thing where they kind of basically retain you. I mean, you're, you're, you're stuck yeah. for a year. And you can't grow a mustache or some some crap like that. Like you can you can get stuck in a contract for X amount of time, and even that doesn't mean that that's the reason they have it for X amount of time. It doesn't like seriously yeah. until people show up and principal like principal photography has begun. Yeah, don't honestly don't count on it. They had several suits made for Nicolas Cage. We never saw that movie, did we? <laughs> we saw a hell of a documentary, but other than that, yeah. Um, I do think it's interesting that. Uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to bash, but, um, all of this about them ignoring Jeff Johns for Man of Steel and BVS, that all tracks with me. I, it feels real. Um, maybe it's not, but it all tracks with me. So uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. If, um, I mean, think about how included he's been. If the narrative is we ignored Johns before we got this criticism and now you're seeing an inclusion of Jeff Johns that wasn't there until really after BVS. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it does. The narrative is valid. I don't know if it happened, yeah. but yeah. like you said, it tracks. And you know what? Longtime listeners know that I have my issues with Man of Steel. I like the movie, but I have my issues with it. I can, and you know, I have my issues with Man of, uh, of uh, not Man of Steel, uh, Batman v Superman. I like the movie. I'm not crazy about the fact that Batman kills. Yes, I can set it aside in my mind because, you know, we have plenty of source material showing the guy doing it. Mm-hmm. Superman 2. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Zack Snyder is a very good filmmaker. I don't necessarily agree with all of his decisions. Like, if you're starting a franchise about Superman, maybe not start out the the movie with him killing people. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, or the, the franchise, I mean, not the movie. Um, yeah. Maybe don't introduce a new Batman by showing him killing a bunch of people. Now, I will wholeheartedly say that, like, look, you know, all you people go on screaming about, like, Nolan's Batman didn't kill. He claimed he didn't, but... We have several instances of him doing so. He very much did. Uh, so, every Batman on screen has killed, ex- except for maybe the animated series. Um, so, and I mean, even we're not then, counting that right like, now. We're just talking about live action. Yeah. They've all killed. Even then, like, if you had extra frames of some of those scenes, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Like, we've, we've said this several times, Adam West killed people. He did. <laughs> it's like he kicked a dude and he disappeared and he suspected a thing so he tried it again and went yep I killed him 
There's uh. <laughs> only slightly more to it than what you just said. That's what happened. Oh. <laughs> like, huh, well, apparently, <laughs> if you hit them after they've restabilized, they just disappear and well, they cease to exist. It's kind of like in matter, antimatter. Oh, look, they just yeah. cease to exist. Huh. I'm going to verify this with, oh, yep. Bye, George. <laughs> All right, so uh, Charlie Phantom over on Twitter uh, wrote to Jeff Johns and says, uh, Cinematic Universe has only begun and you are already pulling the rug out from under it. Please keep the universe connected. Jeff Johns responded, it 100% is. Um, So, I don't know. I take that to some point mean that even if they're doing side movies, it might still be connected later on down the line. But um, the Cinematic Universe is, is still connected, so everyone calm down. I think that's, I don't know. If I'm reading it right, that's the point they were making, was it's not a building, we're, we're not like the base of a pyramid building to the top, it's just mm-hmm. a spider web. Yeah. It's all going to be connected, but it may not be, you know, aiming for one I, grand know, story. Which and, uh, you know, I don't... Might be a bit of a shame, necess- but, yeah. Uh, you know, I think certain ones will build to the story and other others won't, but... I think it really, might have to do know, with how well the Justice League does, to be honest. Really? It, I think I think so. I think you're right. But, you know, what else I think is, you know, one of the benefits we have, uh, one of the benefits DC has of being so far behind Marvel is they can see what exactly Marvel's doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, now, yeah, they might need to focus on what Marvel's doing right for a second, but... <laughs> <laughs> but... I've enjoyed, on some level, all of the DCEU movies that have come out so far. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not bitching about it necessarily, but uh, at the same time, they have the ability to look forward at Marvel and say, "Yeah, they've been building this huge storyline, this Infinity War, forever." But don't we really kind of have some Infinity War fatigue at this point? Like, I'm personally tired of waiting on it. Like, I kind of feel like I don't even want to see Infinity War because I feel like there's no way it's going to live up to my expectations. <laughs> I'm like, we've been sitting here for, you know, 10 years waiting on this shit. That is a How is real possibility, and it it would be funny if 25 years from now we were talking about how, well, yeah, MCU just bit off more than they could chew. When you when you really look at it, the DC stuff stood up better, because it just it had a mild approach. Maybe. But you know, I... Uh, that might be a thing. I don't know. You know, I, I will say this, like, while I thought the... the I saw because I saw that Infinity War trailer they put together. Uh-huh. Well, I felt like, hey, that's bull. That's that's badass. That's cool. That's that's really awesome. I also kind of felt like I'm a little disappointed. Like, I want something that doesn't even like. I don't even want to see like a movie. I just want to see like a series of crazy images that my brain that, that, that my brain can't like wrap itself around. You know what I mean? Like, I just I I I do. I think the but the way I'm you you want <laughs> Infinity War as directed by Akira Kurosawa. You just Maybe. want like a series of bizarre images that are at once gorgeous and too probably meaningful if you looked at it and, yeah. and had enough time. And I'll tell you this: after Civil War, I don't want I don't I don't want the Russos dealing with Infinity War. I I would almost and this is going to sound crazy. I kind of almost want Zack Snyder to come in and do it. <laughs> that, that will sound crazy. There's no freaking way. I'm actually want, I'm like, actually more ruined on Whedon for MCU than I am uh, the yeah. Russo brothers because the Russo brothers at least I I enjoyed Civil War it it wasn't uh, th- there has been a lot of like backlash especially out of DC fans like it was like well it was more like BBS than you thought and blah blah, blah. um well first of all it was 
very similar to BBS in a lot of ways, but yeah, in in ways that were unfair to BBS for comparison purposes. But mm. um, I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. I really did. Like I walked away thinking that was that was a lot of fun and didn't have really any regrets. Um, there's always something. Zemo, man. I was so bored. Yeah. I was so bored by Zemo. There was enough going on between Tony and uh, Steve. That was fine. But I, I really kind of um, – the Russos between Winter Soldier and that treated me so much better than Whedon did making an Avengers film that knocked me – I mean I was out of breath. And then Avengers 2, which was like – I mean a rehash? Yeah. It was the same thing. I mean not not really a rehash. <laughs> It wasn't really. It was very nearly yeah. the same, like some of the same major plot points. I can't get over the fact that it was mind control that was one of the major plot points in both yeah. films. Yeah. Can't get over that. I just can't. So yeah, like to me, the Russos treated us better than Whedon did, and that's uh, it's hard to say almost, but I do really respect what the Russos have, have done in general, so I don't feel too bad you know, about that. I think if I were, and you know, anyone who's seen my YouTube videos can just tell me to screw the hell right off, but... Because you know I suck, but <laughs> I think if I were in Whedon's position and I was tasked with doing Age of Ultron, I would have changed like almost changed the the, the genre format. You know what I mean? Like sort of like they did with uh, Winter Soldier when yeah. they turned it into like it a political a, thriller. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. Like I maybe would have done Avengers: Age of Ultron more in the in a line of like, well, probably I would have done Ultron first, just to be fair. <laughs> yeah. But um, whatever the second one was, I probably would have moved it more, less towards like uh, you know Earth invasion, more towards like a um, like a mission, like the first Mission Impossible or something, you know, hmm. where you just have like everyone working together, but off on their separate like specialties, you know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just ridiculous. Don't uh, listen to me. There's a reason I'm doing this podcast and not making movies. <laughs> also, it occurs to me at this point we should probably talk about DC again. Yeah. I just Which, I, by the way, I started to respond. I was like, "Why are we doing a Marvel podcast?" For hold on, we 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 should probably go back to our primary source eh, of material. Eh, whatever. It's good to veer. I don't think we've we've steered completely into it. We've only veered. Yeah. Um. So apparently, all this time we've been calling it the DCEU, the D, the DC Extended Universe. Apparently, that's not what it is. I mean, fuck you. That's what you said to call it. Well. In the same article, Abraham Reisman is saying, Early on in my reporting, officials at WBDC told me no one uses the term DC Extended Universe internally, and that it's not official, and that they didn't know uh, who came up with it. He says eventually, uh, he eventually discovered, uh, well, he found out that uh, Keith Staskowitz, maybe? I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Good enough. The writer uh, came up with it. He says, it was my own phrasing when I used it in the story. It just seemed like the kind of thing they'd call it. Wow. That does not seem like the thing anyone would call it. We specifically all adopted that terminology because we thought you wanted us to. Yeah. So apparently DC actually never did, even though Charles Roven used it, according to the Suicide Squad cast. I don't remember what article they looked up, but, uh, you know, Scott said he found Charles Roven, I think it was, saying it. But, you know, Chuck Roven, man, he seems sort of like the... uh, (laughs) Sort of like the uh, the crazy uncle of the, <laughs> of uh, the I could cinematic see universe. I can see that. Or he's just like drunkenly coming. I don't know if he's drunk or not. I don't want to, you know, cast don't aspersions put that on, on his character. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, he does kind of come out of nowhere sometimes with, with some of his um, press stuff. Yeah. yeah, I thought we were all on the same page with that. And uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, that's weird to me, but whatever. I mean, we were. <laughs> I've all, always hated the term. Yeah, like we were always, uh, we were all using the phrase DCU because that made sense. Yeah. And then they said extended, and then we all made fun of them. Like, why would you call it, like the DC Cinematic Universe, the DC Movie Universe, or like? Yeah. What just extended? Like that's all of everything. Like that's it's yeah. It's, that involves Arrow. Like what are you what are you doing? <laughs> the DC DBU. DC douchebag universe. Right. Just anything. All of our heroes are sad and gloomy. To be fair, that that's the, that's annoying. That's the portrait news. painted. Yeah, seriously. You know. <laughs> um. We we don't understand a montage full of bright, hopeful things. They're all douchebags. Yeah. Well, probably the DC emo universe to begin with. Oh, that's good. And then is emo still a thing? Oh yeah, that's. I'm old. I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think that's a. A word that's going to be around now forever, you know. You think? Insofar as forevers go, I, I, like until it gets replaced by something else. Mm. I don't know why it'd be replaced anyway. by. But that's a problem for another day. <laughs> hey, like I don't know, man. <laughs> in any case, if their plan is to rephrase that or, or reinitialism it, um, good for them. I'm in. Yeah, whatever. I personally like DC Cinematic Universe, but. I don't know. DCM, DC movies. DCF, DC films. I would say UDC, but they tried something like that with after Convergence, and that didn't go well. Hmm. DCD. DC Damn! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just started referring to the TV universe as the DCA. DC, all right. Uh, depend, <laughs> depends on the week. Yeah, it depends on the week. Um... <laughs> Well, we were labeling those based on budget. Oh, okay. Mm. No, but yeah, I guess they don't have an official name for it, except for DC Films, really. Yeah. Um, That's fine. DCF so, is fine. I, that actually rolls yeah. off the tongue way better than DCEU. Like, it hurts my mouth to say DCEU. Yeah. DCF. I mean, Woo. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> MTV was uh, interviewing Army Hammer. And Josh Horowitz uh, showed him some... Fan art of of Hammer as Green Lantern, and uh, he said, and then he shows him some uh, fan art of him as Shazam, and he says, "Oh yeah, oh no, I don't want to see that. I feel like there's something Freddie Mercury would wear. I think that whoever did that did a very fantastic job with it." And then they asked if he would uh, be interested in playing Green Lantern, and uh, he says, "Josh, I'm a complete whore. I will work with anybody for anything." <laughs> Like, if you have a job for me, I'll take it. <laughs> Love ex- it. That is some honest stuff yeah. right there. Yeah, man. That explains... Also, that's a good uh, call about... Lone, the, was it the Captain Marvel outfit that he Ranger. was saying about the Freddie Mercury thing? Yeah. Because, yeah. oh, I could totally see Freddie Mercury wearing that outfit. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, it, like, if I'd gone to that concert, I'd, I'd have looked up and gone, oh, no way, he walked out in a Shazam. This is fantastic. Yeah. We're, it's not Captain Marvel anymore. Mm-hmm. You can't say that anymore. No, I still do it when I feel like it. I know. I prefer that name. I think I like the irony of someone at DC, a big character from DC, being called Captain Marvel. It cracks me up. Yeah. I think that's how it worked back in the day, too. <laughs> well, I th- well, he pre-exists Marvel. Yeah, he, so. he, uh, he was there before, and then he was off, and there was a, he was a, off the books literally for a second. But I think it still cracked people up back in the day. I really hope they find some like old transcripts and stuff where it turns out that he was actually called Captain Timely. 
Anyway. Captain, still young for his age. <laughs> well, no, I was thinking because Marvel used to be called Timely. Sure, yeah. Anyway. Uh, um... <laughs> I feel like there's a, a faucet of puns you could turn on. Yes. Very nicely done. Thank you. <laughs> so, um, Regal Cinemas earlier this week hosted a uh, an event where Jeff Johns appeared. And um, he says that Flash is the collective favorite coming out of Justice League. He also showed a trailer, by the way. Which means that uh, the trailer... We're probably going to get a trailer next week. Final trailer for Justice League. And uh, it'll probably be, I would guess, with Blade Runner 2049. Which comes out uh, October 6th. That's fair. And, I mean... Alright, let's see. This week, we get Lucifer back. But next week, we got a bunch of CW mm-hmm. shows coming back. Mm-hmm. Presumably either that or they'll throw it on, like... Episode three or four of Gotham. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they'll do that, but also four, uh, New York Comic Con is happening. This weekend? Yeah. Next week? Yeah. So that'd probably be a good place to do it. <laughs> Wouldn't hurt. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be careful about what I say here. I spoiled Jason on it, but Danny Elfman was talking mm-hmm. about some stuff, and... Uh, they asked, uh, this was like with Billboard, and they asked, you've just been in London recording the score for Justice League. It's been 28 years since you scored Batman. What was it like going back into the DC Universe? Elfman says, it was great. It was like I never left because I'm using the same thematic material that I used back then. It never actually went away. It's just, It just was great fun. There are little there are uh, there are a few little fan moments. I instated a moment of the Wonder Woman theme that Hans Zimmer did for BVS, but I also had two minutes where I had the pleasure of saying, "Let's do John Williams Superman," and that for me was heaven because now I have a melody to twist, and I'm using it in a in an actually very dark way in a dark moment. It's the kind of thing that some fans will notice, some fans won't. He also said a line after that, and I feel like it's a little too spoilery to talk about. So I'm just going to leave it alone. But then he says, uh, the people of DC are starting to understand we've got these iconic bits from our past, and that's part of us. That's part of our heritage. We shouldn't run away from that. Contemporary thinking is every time they reboot something, you have to start completely from scratch, which, of course, audiences will tell us again and again is bullshit because the single most surviving and loved theme in the world is Star Wars, which they had the good sense to not dump for the reboots, and every time it comes back, the audience goes crazy. Now... I agree with him. Um, He's got some good points there. Uh, I feel like at this point, the the '89 Batman theme, and which was done by Elfman mm-hmm. himself, and the John Williams Superman score are they're just that those characters in those characters DNA. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm not saying that I, I don't want to do What's the audio version of iconic. Like, I think it's still iconic. Yeah, but icon is, <laughs> indicates visual. I don't know. What, well, whatever when the you, audio version of Iconic is. When you say audio version of Iconic, the first thing that pops into mind is John Williams. <laughs> so it's it's a snake eating its tail. It's fine. Yeah. Um, but honestly, man, I mean, he defined that. Like, no, I mean, it's funny. Some some people have actually had a real problem with this. Uh, I saw it was pretty funny. Someone said, "Hey, we we changed uh, BVS John Williams score when Superman's flying," and then when you watch it, it's like. Uh, the scene where where Batman grabs him with the grappling and like swings him around and he's like smashing him into walls and stuff mm-hmm. and it's like dun da 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 as Batman as Superman is helplessly being thrown into walls yeah it was funny but um 
I am excited for this. I I really am. I think I don't want the whole score to be that. Like I uh, issue the Superman Returns mentality, where you just have to just draw so much from the previous films that it doesn't even feel like its own thing. Yeah. But um, feels like a I feel like mock-up. Yeah, I feel like there should be a couple of callbacks um, at the right time, and hopefully that's what they're doing here. Um, I think the music's a nice way to go with that. We're like, they actually mm-hmm. got a lot of shit for the visuals, where they pulled up previous uh, visuals. I mean, as much as I, you know, giggled and and thought, oh, that's the that's the shot from Dark Knight Returns uh, mm-hmm. when he's emaciated in space or something. Um, same time, as as many people like me went, oh, cool. Uh, there was a whole other group of people that went, no, 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 on the nose, don't appreciate it, that's not what was happening. Yeah. Visually, you will, ca- I, th- I think visually you'll catch a lot of people off guard and make them, um, polarize them the, the wrong way, the way you weren't going for, at least. Whereas with music, I think a lot of times it's more innocuous. Like, a lot of people won't notice. Most people won't read this article, they won't even notice. Uh, they're as iconic yeah. as the Batman theme is and that Superman score is... You just yeah. a lot of people aren't even going to freaking notice they they brought it up again. Like yep. some part of them might. There might be a subconscious that goes, "Oh, that feels familiar." But that's it. So you aren't you yeah. aren't risking as much, I think, with a an audio cue as you are a visual. I think when you do it with an audio cue, that's a good way of of speaking to the fans who are going to notice it and go like, "Oh my god, that's awesome!" Just like uh, you know, in Smallville, when you know uh, he goes to see Christopher Reeve, who's a scientist in this version, and mm-hmm. but they still kind of do the like they do the John Williams theme. Mm-hmm. Um, that just made me happy as hell. I didn't feel like it was the same universe or anything, but it made me happy as hell. Yeah. Um, well, even but, in, you know, uh, and in then, BTAS, but like the, Shirley Walker constantly refers to the Elfman theme, but doesn't do it. That she, uh, that was by mandate. I know, I know. I mean, that's part of the contract. I'm sure. I, like, but yeah, but she gets you there. Like, if it wasn't actually the thing that opened that series, if if the first you know forty five seconds of that show didn't exist. I mean, you would still be talking about, oh, dude, Shirley Walker brought that up all the time. Because mm-hmm. we're listening for it. We know that, and we, we want to hear it, you know? Yeah. You know, I it's just, uh, I think the mainstream audience, even though they don't notice it, they do subconsciously. I think the John Williams Superman theme and the 89 Batman theme from Elfman is part of the uh, the zeitgeist, man. It's like, it's they're on a subconscious level so i feel like when they see that as you know critics or or uh or audience members when they hear it i think they're going to feel like oh that's the character more than anything else when they hear that music because music has that way of speaking to your soul and your inner being and electrifying you and bringing you uh upright you know like if i listen to a good star trek soundtrack i am way more productive that week (laughs) <laughs> because I feel like I'm in Starfleet and I got I got shit to do, man. Yeah. I'm like Spock. Things are happening. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I think it's important. Anyway, it does. Uh, it, it seeps into you a little bit. And something that uh, I was equally frightened by what you told me earlier this week. Uh, the way I put it to you was this: that Superman theme. Uh-huh. Just, I, I mean, I I can't help it. It's it's on some visceral like pre three-year-old i don't know what i don't know what part of me this is but there's a part of me that like when i hear that theme chokes up like oh, i could be a better person i should be a better person like there's a part of me that just is it's in me and, and in this case if they played a different version of it if they made it a little darker i like this is maybe the first time where i've balked and, and thought oh man come on 
come on, don't mess this up. Because I've been on board with a lot of the changes and a lot of the variations so far. But this was maybe the first time where I had that knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, no, 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 don't mess with that. Don't mess with that. Don't mess with that. Yeah. And I like I understand where I'm coming from because for some reason, it really is. Like if you show me those notes, if you just played that in the background, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I, I might like drop my head and kind of start pinching my, my neck a little bit. So yeah. it's just built in. But same time, like you, I can really appreciate when someone does something magical with it and Danny Elfman may be able to. Like, I, I mean, uh, all right. So the example I gave you was, and I'm going to lose some people with even enjoying a perfect circle, but I was born in a certain period, so deal with it. Um, <laughs> John, like John Lennon's Imagine, iconic song, right? Again, we're uh-huh. back to what is that word for audio? But it's it's a it's a freaking trademark. Like it, it's a right. This is one of those like Mount Rushmore songs, and it's so hopeful and wonderful. But uh, Perfect Circle did a version where basically they just kind of minor keyed it, dropped it down a little bit. I forget what it, yeah. I forget what it's in, like G minor or something. I don't remember. But they they tweaked it, and the way he does it in that song, it's um, you know he's dragging a couple of the notes vocally. He's, it's it's not hopeful. The the songs yeah, there, the no. notes are there, the relative notes are there. It's just it sounds vastly different. It sounds like someone who's lost hope, who like knew what hope was once and is reminiscing about it. And it's kind of gorgeous in its own way. So I, I would hope something as artistic and kind of, uh, I don't know, different and meaningful comes out of Elf- what Elfman does. But he's, I don't know. he's brought us so much before. I don't see why I can't count him on for this. That take of Imagine, though, is also sort of makes me think of, you know, the idea that, like, you know, what if you get to Utopia and it's not what you hoped? Like, what are we living for? Yeah. Like, yeah. isn't that the most depressing thing of all is to have is to have no real... It's to have nothing but peace and no real ideals to strive for. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a very like um, almost sarcastic, sarcastic sounding take on imagine. It's uh, yeah. It's neat. So I can hope for something like that, and that kind of um, I don't know. It mitigates my fear, my little knee jerk reaction of oh, don't mess up that theme. I love that theme. Yeah, I I'm. I think I'm done, man. I'm just okay with... Just twist whatever, man. I don't care anymore. Just do it. Just give me a good story. I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah. Look, I'll live. I'm just... I'm... I'll live. I'm one of those people that thinks that, like... Um, all right, so the there's a difference between, like, how people view the Constitution, whether it's, it's a living document or not. So with our DC uh-huh. products, you and I have very much been in the camp that it is a living document. Like so, these these different interpret interpretations yeah. for us, it's supposed to keep the spirit of it, but the letter is not necessarily there. Right. So if you recast somebody or, or whatever, it's not the end of the damn world. Right. Um, as long as you keep the essence of what was there. So um, yeah. I just had to face myself yeah. personally because this was the first time that I felt like I wasn't. <laughs> I guess I, I, that wasn't uh, my first reaction was fear this time instead of like oh that sounds cool this was the first time where i went oh no 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 please don't please don't <laughs> and me i was like hell yeah yeah um anyway um he did go on they asked uh did you write new themes for characters uh like flash and aquaman and elfman says i created very simple motifs there are so many things you can't just do a big theme for everything so i created a motif for flash for aquaman and cyborg but they're very simple things, and DC understood. I said, these things may never be used again, but I'm giving you all of the components, should you wish to have things to build on. So they either will or they won't. But that's how I approach a project like this. 
You have to take the attitude that this is the beginning of a mythology, and it all matters. It all comes to fruition, and with any luck, they will. I love the people I worked with. They were wonderful. The DC guys were great. I kept talking about the DNA of John Williams in this other thing, using the, using the DNA of Batman and these other variations, which were not the same, which were not the Batman theme, but it all derives from that. Musical themes are like genes. You carry the DNA along, and it creates these subtle connections, which are perceived on an unconscious level. It's funny because I'm terrible at puzzles, but I love puzzle, musical puzzles. It's a different part of my brain. That's they asked, deadly accurate. Yeah, yeah. They asked, uh, did you record at Abbey Road? He says, Abbey Road in air. Oh my God, we had nine days of 12-hour recording sessions using both studios. It was crazy. Aww. It's funny. I've only, I've only worked with Joss Whedon twice, but they've both been insane situations. I was joking with him at the end. It would be great to do something normal, where we actually had a regular schedule instead of these hyper-reduced schedules. On the other hand, I like challenges, and I love Joss, so it was all good. Which is interesting, because it makes me, you know, feel like pretty much when they announced that he was going to be on Justice League is when he started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was It was almost like the news broke from the, the flight attendant who tore his ticket, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. It was, uh... Yeah. Also, though, uh, there's an ongoing supposition that the less time and resources Whedon has, the better he does. I don't know. Maybe Elfman's like him, or maybe they have a good relationship that way. Mm. Like, it seems like the more you uh, hamstring him, the the better the product is somehow. Maybe. Like You've got 13 episodes. I mean, 10. I mean, four. <laughs> um. They asked, why do you love working with Joss? He says, it was the same when I worked with him on Ultron. He appreciates melodies and pieces. He's like, oh, you've given it identity here. There was a moment where the Batmobile shoots out of a thing, and he goes, go batshit crazy here. Batman the shit out of it. <laughs> when, I'm using the, <laughs> when I'm using the Batman theme, I'm using the melodic sense of it. I'm, I wasn't doing full-on Batman, and there's a moment when he says, no, right here, Full on. So, and they ask, are, you know what we're, is, we're waiting on at that point is da, 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 da. absolutely. Yeah. That's all I need yeah. right there. Just where you one stopped moment. it. Those notes. Yeah. That's it. Um, they, they, and they asked, are his musical instincts right? And he says, uh, Elfman says, I think they're great, and he loves doing little things like that that are pure fan excitement. Jude, uh, do John Williams here? Batman the shit out of this moment. He knows how fans think. Give them these little things and let them enjoy it. I can't agree more. Yep. Uh, now, over to Empire. Uh, they have released a magazine, this is a Justice League special, and uh, here are some interesting tidbits from that. Uh, Gal Gadot reaffirmed that this is Zack Snyder's movie, Justice League. She says, this is Zack Snyder's movie. Joss only did a few weeks of reshoots. He was Zack's guy and knew exactly what he wanted to get. Ben Affleck uh, said, uh, Joss is... More than just an Avengers director, he's a good storyteller, full stop. In midstream, Joss got on, and part of what interested him was the puzzle aspect of it, fitting in pieces that weren't there yet. He put the piece, the rest of the pieces in uh, and gave it his own imprimatur. Imprimatur? Imprimatur. Imprimatur? I'll say that a few more times. <laughs> Joss that came does in sound and like a, a guy who's fine. directed a movie talking about it, a director, though. Yeah. Joss came in and walked a very fine line. 
between Zach's sensibility, tone, and direction, we found a really fun and inspiring synthesis of their two forms of storytelling. I was so glad everyone showed up to work for Zach. So, um, you know, it, there are already people out there saying this is just spin. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, clearly, there was an issue with Zack Snyder's initial cut, or they wouldn't have wanted all this uh, new stuff being written by somebody else. And look, I mean, I can't fault anybody for wanting Josh to come in and punch up some dialogue, man, and throw in some good scenes. Like, for God's sake, they had Joss pop in over on Dark World, Thor the Dark World. They just had him, they helicoptered his ass in to write additional scenes to make that movie work. That is true. <laughs> I have no hate for that. Joss is, um, Joss is the, the he's, his he's career a... before being, he was a script doctor. Yeah. Like, the reason Twister was a good movie is because of Joss Whedon. His name isn't there, but he was the reason. Toy Story. You like Toy Story, right? All you people out there in podcast land, you like Toy Story. Thank Joss. (laughs) (laughs) He he's um, I think he's up there with like Patton Oswalt almost as like punch up artist extraordinaire. Yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, so. Whatever. Uh, Patton's one of those people who's like, well, it's not funny enough. Well, you please send it to Patton. (laughs) We need him to funny this up. We need someone who who understands tone and won't, like, betray that tone, but we also need funny. Hmm, that sounds like Joss Whedon or Patton Oswalt. Which one do you want? (laughs) That could be a tough call in certain way. I think your determining factor there is like, well, Joss has a career in which he's trained himself to limit his nerddom and Patton would be like letting a rabid dog off the leash. So yeah, let's let just like, we've all seen that parks and rec filibuster. <laughs> and if you haven't, you should go check it out and type in just that fucking amazing parks and rec filibuster. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know man was capable of such an act <laughs> until I saw it. Uh, you should just go on and look, type up, uh, t- go to YouTube and look up uh, Patton Oswalt Unbreakable Sequels Screen Junkies. He just sits there and pitches a whole Unbreakables uh, trilogy. And I'm sure, it's, anyway. I'm sure it's workable. I'm sure it is. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, let me put it this way: I have a hard time, you know, because Shyamalan is talking about doing like, you know, actual sequels now, and like, I'm having a hard time not being like, well, it's not going to be Patton's. <laughs> you stuffed Pat before he does that. Just yeah, some good ideas out there. So, um, give him a story by. This is a, this is a bit that's in Empire, and I feel like we've talked about this before. Chris Terrio talked about this before uh, last year, before BVS ever came out. But Ezra Miller is confirming it. Thought I'd bring it up again, since apparently every day on Facebook, someone else is not understanding this. <sighs> So apparently Justice League was always also always supposed to be lighter than Batman v Superman. <laughs> no kidding. That is uh, Zack Snyder says <laughs> at least a two-year-old story at this point. Yeah, Zack Snyder I mean, had apparently granted, talked with Ezra Miller. Granted, it wasn't like it was a side note. A couple of years ago, it was just like, oh yeah, we're gonna lighten up a little bit, and no one thought anything of it, and then everything happened, and that became that was lost. Yeah, yeah. So Ezra Miller says, the first time I ever sat in Zack's office, he told me people were mad at him for making things too dark. Zack always intended for the Justice League to rise out of the darkness and maybe even bring Batman with them. Maybe an inch. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, That's kind of the <laughs> beautiful part of their relationship in general, right? Yeah. Bruce, have faith. A little bit. Clark, makes sense. 
Uh, so uh, we can now do Justice League hashtags on Twitter, and they will bring up these little emojis of the of <laughs> of the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for Superman's, who will bring up a little uh, red and black logo version of his logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they release these uh, character portrait posters. Uh, Wonder Woman, like it's like basically like just like blank backgrounds, but they're like colored. Like the whole thing is has like a photo filter on it with a different color. Uh, Wonder Woman is yellows, uh, Flash is red, Cyborg is purple, Batman blue, Aquaman green, and they're like, um, what do you call it? Like, um, what do you call it when it's like the the little side portrait mm. of a person's face, where it's just like the person's face, just like you know what I mean? Kind of, uh, profile. Profile, yeah, it's a profile. Uh, profile shots of all the characters. Uh, I hate these posters. They're awful. Uh, I think they're ugly. It's uh, it's some sort of hackneyed Andy Warhol shit. I'm just not down with it. If you dig it, I'm sorry, and I fully support you going out and buying this merch because that's what's going to get us more of these movies. Sure. But um, you know what? It's just not going on my wall, buddy. But it's I'm not down for it. It's. <laughs> It's usually the kind of shot where, like, a casting director will see someone's headshot of a profile and go, oh, no, no, <laughs> not you. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> over to Shazam. Uh, apparently, some site called Omega Underground uh, uncovered an audition tape. And it shows uh, Brandon Her- uh, sorry, Brendan Hurd of Odd Squad and Orphan Black auditioning for the role of, quote, Frank who is a disabled foster kid with a sarcastic sense of humor. Now, this is uh, probably going to be Freddie Freeman, Shazam Jr. in the comics, mm-hmm. uh, who was, quote, severely injured due to a fight with Shazam, uh, sorry, a fight between Shazam and Captain Nazi, causing Billy to transfer some of his powers to the young boy. Also, the version you slipped up and said Shazam sounds Jr. so much cooler. <laughs> yeah. After a fight between a, a 10-year-old boy and a man inhabiting six gods... <laughs> the crippled child. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, apparently the the dialogue would suggest that he's already disabled in the movie, um, and he's introducing Billy into the foster home. And uh, it also denotes that he is aware of Billy's powers, maybe even jealous of them. Mm. And um, there is some interesting stuff about like how they actually tie into Justice League as far as. Um, Freddy owning a lot of superhero uh, paraphernalia. Uh, Batman's Batarang. He's got an Ark of the Covenant filled with Superman uh, merchandise and stuff. Which could be cool. Uh, you know, who knows? That might be all track with the movie. It might not be. It might just be like, uh, you know, sampling uh, for the auditioning process. But uh, yeah, that's where we are on that. Sure. Um, which I'm I'm cool with. Whatever. I, I'm not the biggest Shazam fan. I'm kind of down for whatever they have to do, you know? He's growing on me, but <laughs> the big red cheese has never been quite my forte. <laughs> but I understand. Tell you, tell you what is Nightwing, and uh, Chris McKay is saying that uh, no one's been cast yet. He says we're taking our time. We're going to cast a wide net because we need to find the perfect person. We need to get the script right. Uh, we, we we need to get this movie to blow your mind. I'm down with that. I don't, you know, everyone on the internet has been talking about different people who, oh, he's been cast. And Chris McKay is saying, no, he's not. Yeah. But I want them to get it right. I would rather them get it right. But then, you know. This won't be one of those things you kind of hear about when it happens. This is going to be a thing that you'll you'll know when it's been cast. Yeah. Six months ago, I wouldn't have guessed Nightwing was on the table for a movie. 
I would have thought that was ridiculous. And, uh... Yeah, it's crazy times. Crazy times. Uh, Some might say the end times, but, uh... I think it's somewhere in Revelation, isn't it? I think there's... Nightwing will get a movie? Yeah, probably. It's like, Um, you won't know, like, you won't be able to tell the seasons from each other. You know, the sky will turn to blood, you know? Nightwing will get a movie? Yeah. And then... (laughs) Verse four, also Gotham City Sirens. If you hear that mentioned, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Crazy anyway. times, man. <laughs> so Justin Kroll of Variety is uh, he's a pretty reliable source. Saying uh, for those wondering, this Artemis news pretty much uh, takes Lord and Miller out of the running for Flash being the directors. He says that script was turned in yesterday to the studio. Flashpoint was. Uh, he says Bob Zemeck is still being considered, but studio will take meetings with other filmmakers and no rush to make an announcement, which is fine with me. You know, they don't need to make an announcement on Flashpoint for quite a while, honestly. Um, That's funny, though. Wasn't that a film that was, like, originally originally kind of slated for, like, late 2018, early 19? Yeah. Well, before when it was just The Flash, and now it's kind of Flashpoint, and it's 2020, and... yeah. I mean, when it was Whatever. just, we're going to do a Flash film. We're going to do it in, like, 18, 19. Uh, I just yeah. don't care yet. Like, I mean, I, I cared I've, because I was happy they were going to do a Flash film. And then... Yeah, no, you don't understand. I cared then, and now I've been jerked around so much, I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's what I was working towards, too. Now, at this point, I just, again, until there are people on set and half a million dollars being spent per day, I'm not going to believe it. I mean, if tomorrow they come out and announce that Flashpoint is going to have Bob Zemeckis of Back to the Future as a director, <laughs> tomorrow, if they say that tomorrow, I'm changing my shorts. But until then, <laughs> I don't give a shit. I don't right. believe anything. Um, here's something yeah. weird, though. Uh, Kiersey Clemens <laughs> was talking uh, about her new film, Flatliners, to E.T. Online. She said... She's, uh, it- is she of not here anymore fame? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. She says she was unsure about time period. She says, because of going back and forth, past and future with the Flash, you don't even know what time period you actually meet Iris. I don't know what to make of that. Okay. So I'm going to throw that quote out there. What do you guys think? Let us know. Um, over to Suicide Squad. This is fun. I mean, okay, I've got nothing. I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Over to Suicide Squad, Jared Leto was talking. <laughs> um, he apparently has never seen Suicide Squad, and people are making a big deal out of this. Like, oh man, he was so ashamed of the movie, he never saw it. But, uh, you know, no, hold on. really popular for actors and actresses not to actually yeah. watch their own films. Hold on, yeah. I mean, Jared says, as soon as you watch it, that's when it becomes subjective. He says he's never seen Dallas Buyers Club. He says, uh, I think when you watch your own films, it can become, it can be too self-conscious of a process. You either like what you did and you're prone to repeat it or you didn't like it and it can make you self-conscious. I'm not sure how much wind there is for me, but I read the scripts. So I know what's going to happen. Um, in, in all fairness, like if, if your job is to be an actor, you, you don't, it doesn't matter what you think about the final product matters uh-huh. what the director thought about you, how the writer yeah. felt about how you were portrayed, how the studio felt about how you worked with them. None of yeah, that matters. And- like, uh, that's what makes your job work. Like, not, yeah. w- not your feelings on the final product. That's irrelevant. Yeah. Now, he did, uh, he did, he was on, <laughs> on EW Radio Spotlight. Uh, for, and again, 
pimping out Blade Runner 2049. He says that um, as far as like all the stuff that he did, sending used condoms and stuff to castmates, he says most of it was total bullshit. Like that I was giving used condoms to people, which was not true. It doesn't matter how loud you shout or hold up a sign with your pants off in Times Square. People will run the story that they want. Of course, I watched an interview he did with E! when Suicide Squad came out. Mm-hmm. There was there were no cuts, and he said that he absolutely sent... He was the one who brought up used condoms. Mm-hmm. And he said he sent it to people. And then they talked to all these other people. All these, like, Will Smith and, uh, dude that played Killer Croc. I can't remember his name. And I can't even pronounce it right now. But you know what? Even if we can remember it. (laughs) He said that, he said that bastard sent him used condoms. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and sticky Playboys. (laughs) I seem to remember, uh, Robbie saying the same. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was weird. Will Smith said he sent him used condoms. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, then Leto said in the same, uh, radio interview said, uh, he, he, as they put it, passed off the accountability onto others. He says, people were thrilled to get them. Whatever the Joker would give was the idea. I didn't really even put them together. Basically. It was my team and my assistant. We were all having fun with it. It was really touching. No, it wasn't touching because a bunch of these assholes sent them stuff that you knew about that you claim you now that you didn't know about. Jared Leto, you're a crazy piece of shit, dude. You just are. <laughs> like I've had it with you. I'm not. Like, I'm not at all there yet. I think he's way more sane than he lets on. Um, <laughs> oh wait, there's a, a wonderful. I think it's. Uh, I think it's a Neil Cassidy quote writing the Jack Kerouac where he says, uh, "I have much more sense than anything I do indicates." Uh huh. I really love that sentiment, but that's a nice pipe dream. But I'm pretty sure Leto's just nuts. <laughs> I I don't think he's actually nuts. I think he's a little more calculated than we're giving him credit here. Also, like, I mean, I, I kind of get pulling back the story. Yeah, it didn't go so well. Like, it went really well when they were ramping up. And then after after all that, everyone kind of went, hey, wait a second. Isn't that kind of borderline sexual assault to send your sperm to people? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But now what's funny is, like, now I have the image of some poor assistant in, in, jacking off into instead condoms instead <laughs> executing this action i don't know what's worse the idea of like some poor assistant jacking off into condoms and sending and them to sending them on the way or like i don't know receiving used condoms from jared leto yeah, which one's worse hey mail this or hey good news bad news my favorite version <laughs> good news I mean, my favorite... you can use my trailer Bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite version is like two assistants standing there, like flipping a coin as to who has to jerk off into the condoms. <laughs> oh man! Like who, if, if who, it was, who... if it was me in that room, I would immediately say, like, one of us does it, the other one ships it. We're flipping a coin. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> One of those tasks is definitely worse than the other. <laughs> well, why can't he just do it? Well, he can't do it because if he get, if someone actually files a complaint and they test the DNA, it can't be his. Like he has to have plausible deniability. <laughs> like, no, it wasn't even mine. I don't know. I never yeah. heard of it. That's weird. I'm gonna go buy a green smock. Do 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 do. That wasn't me. Anyway, I'm touring. I'm singing now. Clearly, I didn't do that. Right. Anyway, um, 
It's going to be well, like some W version of the Star Report. Mm. Mm. That's, if only there had been Monica Lewinsky's and Linda Tripp's of the Suicide Squad. <laughs> I don't think anyone there has the uh, time to write like 2,000 pages on <laughs> on really anything. Yeah. Margot Robbie's like, you won't believe what he did with the cigar. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we're going to move over to television. If you're not following us over on television, then uh, you can find us on Twitter, DC on screen. You can uh, like us on Facebook, and you can call us and leave us a voicemail, 205-259-6331. That is 205-259-6331, and uh, we'll love to hear from you. And uh, moving right over to DC TV news, bad news for Gotham fans, kind of, I think. Uh, it got its lowest ratings ever last week. The Fear Reaper aired to just 2.8 million viewers. Ooh. 0. 0.8 rating in the coveted 18 to 49 demo, comicbook.com reports. Uh, now, get I mean, their previous low was like 3.1 and 0. 0.9. Yeah, and the premiere was 3.2 million. Oh, damn. Yeah, and, you know, they were talking about canceling it last year. Now, here's the thing. Here's the upside to it. Apparently, their uh, plus seven numbers are really high. Their DVR settings are pretty high. Cord cutter numbers. And, yeah, and um, the other thing, though. Also, they did change is, time slots, and that really does matter, they, like a well, lot. Yeah, the time, the time slot change does matter. But even more than that, during the fourth season, there's no way they're going to make it to 100 episodes this season. But if they get renewed for a fifth season, they will make it to 100. And, you know, it's not it's not always 100%, but especially on uh, franchise material like this. Yeah. Um, they try to make it make things hit to 100 episodes so they can ship it out to syndication. Sure. Uh, I mean, and the standard syndication benchmark is 100, ep- 100 episodes. Uh, they won't hit it until season five, but they can make that with a truncated season five. Like, right. uh, they'll be able to make that with like, you know, 12 episodes, literally 12 episodes of season five. Cause they'll be uh, at 88 ish so, by the end of season right. four. Absolutely. So maybe they see the writing on the wall. Maybe that's why, uh, they, they seem to be speeding the Bruce, Bruce becoming Batman story along. Um, but, um, possibly I'd be surprised yeah. if this doesn't pick up a little bit. Uh, especially in the well, the the plus seven doesn't doesn't necessarily cover like people going back. I mean, it's plus seven. It doesn't re- cover people going back and finding a few weeks. Yeah. So two things occur to me. One, Gotham starts about two weeks earlier than uh, your average season. I mean, last week, um, and we're recording this on like October second. So last week, end of September, is when a lot of shows mm-hmm. premiere. That's the bulk. Yeah. You're going to yep. get the second half of the bulk in the first week of October. So mm-hmm. Gotham, though, shows up in like the three-quarter mark of September. It's a little rare. Yeah. And they're going to do that on a different day, different time slot. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uphill. So give them a little bit of credit. Eh, maybe give them the point one. Don't know about that. Yeah. Maybe give them another 500K. Honestly, another half a million, that's not unreasonable for changing where you're airing. Yeah. Now, uh, it, it may not be as bad the, as it seems. Did you see the last episode? Did you watch it? Haven't yet. No. Not yet? Well, uh, I'll tell you this much, though. Uh, there's a bit where they ask, uh, someone asks Barbara how she came, how, how she's not dead. And her reaction is, quite literally, 
This is Gotham. They've got to stop that shit, man. They've really got to stop. That, that was, I, I said this on the <laughs> premiere review we did. Was like I was hoping that was a cute nod to the Gotham of old. We're like, yep, oh, I don't know. People just come back. Fuck, I don't know what's going on. No, I thought that was gonna. I hope that was gonna be a cute nod. And instead, what we may get is more of a, if that's the case, more of a. I don't know. People just come back. What are you gonna do? Like, are now, here's we, the worst are we part, doing though. like a? It's, it's like a robot chicken episode at that point. Yeah. Here, here's the worst part, though. They in the actual episode, they had her trying to win the trust of people, but then saying like, "This is Gotham. Next time, check a pulse." Um, which God. is the shittiest, laziest lantern hanging ever. But then, you know, you have Gotham EP John Stevens come out and says, okay, well, we know how, uh, here's how Barbara came back. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now. He says, again this year, it'll be a different version of Barbara once again. It's like he keeps reiterating that because no one likes Barbara. Um, <laughs> it's a different version, I promise, that will be informed by her return to the world of the living at the hands of Rachel Ghoul. You know, that's kind of obvious, right? Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. Said, a lot of people like Bar- be Barbara. I, I don't know what to do with it, but we've talked about it before. I don't like, know. We're, we seem to be the outliers here. I never, no, I see, I don't ever see anybody who likes Barbara online. I really don't. Like, I see eye rolls and people annoyed that she's still around. I see a lot um, of that in the comment section, but in the, I don't know, maybe it's just the, the narrative of how people are covering it for some reason, but she anyway. seems to go over well. I don't, I don't know. John John Stevens says uh, there will be elements of that connection to Rachel Gould that will inform her personality going forward in her arc. Um, apparently, Bruce is not going to be aware of uh, the resurrection of full tilt. Uh, he's not going to be full tilt aware of it for a while. So sure, um, that's fine. Whatever. I she was back, so I kind of expected some sort of chicanery. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it's not. I feel like it's not good form to hang a shitty lantern in your episode and then, like, a couple of days later just be like, okay, Rachel Gould did it, <laughs> to the press. Like, why don't you let your show speak for itself, you jackass? Yeah, a little bit. That's my own personal viewpoint. Like, if you're actually making a show that's supposed to keep us intrigued and supposed to, you know, keep us on the edge of our seats and wondering what the hell happened, how did this happen, uh, maybe you don't do that. Uh, you know... I'll say this. I'm watching Riverdale. I'm finally catching up. I'm like seven episodes in. I'm on the edge of my seat. It's phenomenal. Oh. Yes. Yeah, it's mean, it's the- stupid and cheesy at parts, but it's amazing. I know. It's really good. It's, it's actually well good. done. I, I think I've said this before. Like, yeah. uh, me and my wife were both injured when we were supposed to be, like, out of the country on a um, makeup honeymoon for our first terrible honeymoon. Yeah. Where everyone got injured and we couldn't freaking. It, so, long story short, we were supposed to be doing a redo instead. Uh, couldn't do that. So I realized on about episode eight of Riverdale that we had spent our entire honeymoon watching Riverdale. Uh huh. We just woke up, were injured, looked at each other, and thought, "Well, I'm sore. You want to lie down? <laughs> Let's try this." Which is, <laughs> it, it becomes a "Let's try this," and then it like it quickly turns from that to a. Let's find an excuse to watch more Riverdale. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even that. There was there was no question. We just kept hitting next. Or rather, instead yeah. of hitting next, we just clicked the little thumbnail and, and went yeah. to it. Um, yeah, we, we... I'll be honest. 
absolutely consumed that season and like one day and then i kind of like half it just really was a little more than halfway through it went uh, so i guess what we're doing with our anniversary our first anniversary i'm okay with it (laughs) man i was kind of i was kind of sold the first episode like i fell in love with the first episode when uh kevin pops up and says i know they call you'll never guess who who propositioned me in the bathroom they call him moose but he's hung like a horse (laughs) i was totally sold (laughs) it 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 was surprising good aesthetically one of the things i was most impressed with was uh jughead's hat yeah they made it work didn't they (laughs) they made it work like it it reminisces the comic but it it looks like a human might actually wear that shit yeah, you know one thing I was sort of disappointed with uh, at this point, and I don't know how uh, like season like the last thing literally the last thing I saw spoilers for Riverdale, literally the last thing I saw was Jughead kiss Betty, so uh, you know I was a little disappointed because in the old comics like Jughead had an active disdain for females, which I understand you can't really do now, but um. But for you a know, comic that started in the like late forties, it makes sense. Yeah, which was well, no, it was fun because they they basically made him an asexual character without saying it, and then in the new comics, no, it was they cooties. actually said it. Like I just imagined cooties every time I was thinking about him. No, he just couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't deal with them. Like he just he just thought they were all ridiculous. Like he just couldn't deal oh. with them. He had he had no interest in the old comics. He would you know he the only person he ever liked was uh, was Betty because she cooked. She became a good cook, gotcha. and he asked her to marry marry him when she when they were like fourteen years old or something, and then um and then she burnt some brownies and he he called the marriage off. <laughs> that sounds. That's <laughs> all right. So good uh, good modern example in this one. Um, but I like the the modern idea of in the com in the modern comics the more dramatized comics he's asexual. And I like that well, idea doing better that than Bojack with, being uh, whoever that guy is. I'm sorry, I, 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 I haven't seen the new Bojack Horseman. It's not new; it's old. Um, okay, Bojack's friend that lives with him. <laughs> oh yeah, Todd. Yeah, yeah, Todd. Thank you. Um, yeah, he's he's asexual. Like they brought that up at the end of that. Uh, I think it was third season. Yeah, they did. They did. You're right. That yeah. he's he's you know he's asexual and. God, I need to get to that. Sorry, rolls. I need to get to that new season, but uh haven't yet i was just feeling riverdale man i was like eh new season's about to start i did maybe i'll just give it a shot i didn't expect you'd go back for riverdale i'm i'm, I'm a little surprised i kind of i don't know i i like i had the option of better call saul and i just wasn't feeling it and i was like you know maybe i'll, I'll give riverdale a shot it hooks you though and i'm glad i did like it, it's it hooks really you good like, somewhere like the 25 percent of the first episode i was like all yeah. right what do you got and I hate every one of their parents except for Luke Perry. <laughs> yeah, he's predictably <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Dylan just grew up and gave birth to Archie Andrews. It's really weird. <laughs> it's like shit, man. There was some. Um, this is going to sound like, this weird. This is what it. happens when you marry Rebecca Gayhart and she gets murdered by her own crazy father. All right, cool. Right. There was <laughs> That's a- right. I remember Renato Two One Screw you. I've got I've, I've got one worse. It, like he reminded me a little bit of the like John from Cincinnati. What is that? Oh, it was a it was a bizarre show. Um, it sounds familiar as crap, man. I can't I can't place it in my brain. I can't I, I can never remember if something's an HBO or Showtime, but it, it like it lasted about point zero seconds, and 
TV land terms. But yeah, Luke Perry showed up there and he had a very similar feel to me. And, and like I Yeah. It was one of those that it, it incorporated uh what's his name? Mitch Yost, I wanna say. Huh. Anyway. I don't know. Um one of the father figures on that ended up being like one of the voices of Batman later and that's how I kind of kept it vaguely gotcha. in my memory. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like Luke Perry is always like I don't know, Jacob Dylan's stunt double. Just willing <laughs> to jump in there. Just a second yeah, away. Oh. Open. Yeah, Why? Mitch Yost, the character Bruce Greenwood uh, played. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bruce Greenwood, there's a good actor. He is a good actor. Great voice actor, apparently. Yeah. I wish they'd done more with his Captain Pike and Star Trek reboots. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> that was a good moment. That was a, div- that was a divergent conversation. Yeah. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Over to Supergirl. There is a new Supergirl trailer out. Uh, it's uh, the Hero's Journey trailer. Uh, we have a bit where Cat Grant says, The thing that makes women strong is that they have the guts to be uh, vulnerable. Uh, you know, I, you know I, I know more guys who are like that than women, so I'm kind of weird about that. I kinda, I'm kind of really sick of the generalities on television. But, uh, and I feel like Supergirl is one of the biggest offenders, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm not completely sold on this season. I'll watch it because I watch all the DC stuff, but um, and we have Wynn saying this is like the beginning of the dark of the dark days, which sounds cool at first, and I don't know what it means when I actually think about it. What is the dark days? I, what is that? I, I don't know. Like my uh, <laughs> my recap of that was like I I don't have a problem with the generalization, but I do have a problem with the direction. Like yeah, it's it's Supergirl. She's she's such a lighthearted person most of the time. And I, like the idea of of all people, win saying these are dark days, or yeah, or be, like he's such a lighthearted person. Like I don't get me wrong, I love seeing these characters flip over. Like the stuff with Win and his dad, fantastic. Uh, the stuff yeah. when Win got really serious with the relationship with Kara, fantastic. Like uh-huh. he is Win is actually one of the uh, uh, Jeremy Jordan. Is that his name? Have yeah. That right. So yeah. He's one of those guys that, like, when they pop him over and tell him to do something serious, it's, oh, God, especially, like, him and uh, him and Jimmy Olsen last year about, like, no, you're not my boss. This is not how that works. That kind of thing. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Man, that guy can act. But that, yeah, I'm just saying that line doesn't make any sense. But the line doesn't make any sense. And it's it doesn't make sense for him <laughs> to say. Because he's one of the characters that is, he's so lighthearted and fun. And I love when he goes dark and he does a great job with it. But. Yeah. Maybe we don't build our season around him just going, oh, crap, everything's bad now. Because yeah. that's kind of how he pitched it. Yeah. You know what? I, I think I've realized something about myself just thinking, of the, just sitting here thinking about this for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yes, Supergirl is really, uh, really uh, generalized. Like, they throw in a lot of heavy-handed feminism. Uh, and, you know, you can say that, it you know, it, it kind of denotes that it's diminishing men, you know, by implying that they're not. You could say it's not. Here's the thing. Here's my main problem, I think. I don't believe it either with men or women. Like, when you're like, you're strong, and you can, if you're strong, you can defeat this thing. That's, there's no there's no guarantee of that. I think that's why I like Rick and Morty so much. It's existential. <laughs> it's, it's real. <laughs> I'm like, no, Cat Grant. She can't fight this because she's a woman. She might not be able to fight this, period. She might die. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm just getting I'm getting tired of the pep talks from from the peanut gallery on these shows. We're like, oh, all the supporting characters. I get it. Supporting character. You're supposed to support the lead. That's fine. 
You're the strongest person I know. You have uh, Kyler Lee here. Do and I usually love Kyler Lee's acting, but this is awful. Where she says, "Kara Danvers is my favorite person." Yeah, that <laughs> she came across saved weird. me more times than Supergirl ever could. That came across. That was strange. bad. That was overacting out the wazoo. I am super worried about this season of, of Supergirl. I was no I, pun intended, obvious, honestly. Yeah, I, I'm really hoping Whatever. that scene makes a little more sense. And in context of, in the context of this trailer, it was a, a little overplayed. So I'm, I'm yeah. really hoping that, like, when that scene comes around, it's gonna make sense. I, yeah. I was um, way more worried about just the, the overall. It's not gonna be the tone of the season. That's this isn't where we're going for the season. Even if someone says that, they're lying. That's not where it's going to go. <laughs> it's just not. Like, yeah, there. It'll be the it'll be the tone for the first seven episodes. Seven or eight episodes. That's it. Yeah. And and then after that, they're, they're going to be working. Like, all right, it's first of October now. Yeah, they're working on wrapping up the season, but like, they're not like the mid-season finale, for instance, is not in stone. Yeah, and they're you know there's they're gonna leave themselves a little bit of leeway, but it's certainly not gonna tell you what's gonna happen from like I don't know what probably mid March, yeah, early March if you're lucky. Um, it, like next year is probably a good twelve fourteen episodes worth of it could be recovery or it could be uh, expanding upon what they're gonna do right now. Mm-hmm. But whatever happened in this trailer. Yeah, it's not necessarily what's going to happen for the rest of the season. In fact, it almost has to not be. So, yeah, this yeah. whole hero's journey thing, like that Kent Grant speech is probably going to happen in the first couple episodes. Yeah. If probably. not the first. And uh, the mm-hmm. the thing with uh, Kyler Lee and, uh, I forget her name, uh, but with Alex and Maggie, the, the whole bit with that, them standing there, the whole thing with Alex uh, talking to her, like, that's, it's probably going to be knocked out pretty quickly. And then we'll yeah. get to actually see what they're dealing with this season. So I'm kind of leaning on that, I suppose, is uh, where I'm going with this. Uh, like, I don't want to do, like, the hero's journey. I know this is supposed to all be, uh, like, a reaction from uh, her sending Monel away. I, <laughs> yeah. I I know that's where it's going. But I don't want to watch her just be, oh, man, she was, she was so much fun. She was so inspiring for a couple of seasons watching her like grow and build her team and have faith in her team. Oh, I don't want to no, watch someone who's That's not. I mean, she That's not true. You and I both complained all last season about how, what a horrible spoiled little witch she had become. Oh, no, no, no. That's again to the point. The second half of the season. First half of the season, she was still bending. <laughs> she was still bending and mending her team. So, like, she had a team for uh-huh. one and a half seasons that she was working on. We're talking about a pilot episode where, like, she the fir- one of the first things she does is take uh, one of her cozy office mates and take him to the roof and, and fly in front of him. Uh-huh. Like, she's been building this team. And then, yeah, yeah you're right. Second half of last season, eh, kind of went the other way. But they did come back, especially after, like, uh, the Guardian-Win combination she kind of got a little more on board with that. It, it, like, I know there was there was a lot going on, but it's still been like Supergirl building her little National City universe. And then to get to this point where it's like, no, fuck all of you. I experienced a loss. <laughs> and none of you matter anymore. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I, I don't well, want to do think that it's at that all. Anyone, I don't think they're doing like none of you matter anymore. I think it's just like Cara Danvers is dead. I'm Supergirl. Like, she's trying to pull a Batman for a second. 
is what it looks like. That I mean, kind of yeah. And one of the major reasons that I kind of much as I love Batman, I I I like the S just one percent more, and it's because to have that like to have that on your chest, you have to have faith in everybody else. And like this season, I want to see him play with the concept. I do, but uh, yeah. it it always like pains me to see anyone with that emblem on their chest not trust other people. You know, that being I, said, I, I understand story. Think... Like I understand the storytelling, so. Let's do it. Let's do it well. Yeah, I I like Batman like fifty percent more than Superman. I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't I don't know what to tell you. I don't have nearly as much give a shit about how they treat Superman or Supergirl in in the storytelling elements. I really don't. Like I, if it I'm was cool for seeing it was if it was literally like Shadow versus Sarah, I I would I would have kept Superman alive. I don't know what you're saying here. The Arrow scene. I know what the arrow scene is. Oh but yeah, yeah. No, just, how does that relate to by, Superman? No, just by a very small <laughs> margin, I would have. If it was like Batman v Superman, I would have been like, "Yeah, Superman, uh-huh. keep Superman alive." No, man. No. Very small margin. Nah, I, I can't. I can't go with you on that journey. I understand. Batman, Batman every time. Batman every time. I understand. Um, but you know, I, I like the idea of Superman being that symbol of hope and Supergirl as well. It's one of the reasons. Uh, Brave New Metropolis is such a is such a great episode of the Superman animated series to me. Mm-hmm. So I like when I see I, I like to see him a little dirty, and I like to see what what makes him uh, flip. Of course, most writers don't have much more imagination than just making it Lois uh, <laughs> getting getting killed. Like apparently, if Lois gets killed at any point, like Superman just goes like batshit crazy, and like just, just takes over the entire damn world. And, uh, and as opposed, well, I guess if the Flash gets killed, Justice League takes over the entire world and becomes the Justice Lords, but right. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people have died under Batman's, uh, tutelage and he, he, well, the worst he does is he kills a few, a few bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just because if you asked him, he was like, well, Jason was kind of a dick. Like, yeah. He was, wasn't he? <laughs> he was a little bit of a right. spoiled bastard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway. Um they've on Supergirl they've cast Rain's mother, uh Betty Buckley from Eight is Enough. That's a good that's a good uh old timey comic book name, Betty Buckley. Mm-hmm. Uh she's gonna be playing Patricia Arias, the adoptive mother of uh Rain, who is the season's big bad, I'm told. Sure. Um Apparently, there's going to be some deep, dark secrets. She says their relationship is made up... Uh, oh, no, TV Insider says their relationship is made all the more complex by the secrets Patricia holds. So, uh, who knows, man, but she'll be making her first appearance and wake up the uh, seventh episode of the third season, the one right before Crisis on Earth X, which is the big crossover. I'm just going to make my bet right now that she will not appear in that crossover. Oh no no! I think she'll just be on the on the episode before. Yeah, she'll just be there to tease, like, "Hey, when you get back to our show." Yeah, uh, look now, at this uh, thing we did. Yeah, over the Flash, Nuke the Fridge was uh, has reported that Tom Welling is open to being on the Flash. He says, "I am willing to go on the Flash, and I have a few ideas on how it can happen if the network asks me." In fact, I think I can make it happen. They only used Bart on Smallville, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's. Plenty of leeway. Well, I mean, multiverse, man. No, even within Smallville's universe, they could they could just pop over. They might be able to make, yeah, they might be able to, yeah. I mean, you could make Smallville, you know, Earth 34 or something. 
So look, man, this is this is putting it in uh, CW's court, and I'm really hoping they they take the bait, man, because I'd love to see Tom Welling show up as uh, Superman. Of course, you know he's saying like, oh, I have a few ideas. It has to be under my rules. Uh, it'd kind of suck if it was like, yeah, I'll be on the Flash as Max Mercury. I'm like, oh God, come on, yeah, man! That, I don't want to see you. You me. know. Also, <laughs> very related, I, I saw a few headlines that said, like, Tom Willing, willing to show up in DC property again. It was like, yeah, he's going to be, yeah. like, an investigator in Lucifer. What, what, like, that's, they've already got film of it. Yeah, but that's like a vertigo. That's vertigo. It is. But, you know. It is. It's DC, but, yeah. I mean, I know, it's, I know, I, I mean, I know where it stands, but come on. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Over to Legends of Tomorrow, it looks like uh, Bleeding Cool is saying that Gorilla Grodd is going to be involved in the seventh episode of Ju- of uh, Le- Justice League of Legends of Tomorrow. Um, Welcome to the Jungle. It's going to take place during 1960s Vietnam, and Grodd is going to be trying to turn the conflict into World War III. They also uh, are reporting that the show is going to have an appearance by Dick Rory, the father of Mick Rory, uh, who will be a soldier whose weapon of choice is a flamethrower. And he'll be played by Evan James, who played Wretch, one of the Ravagers that tortures Baby Groot in Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Uh. See, man, it's all connected, guys. <laughs> Can't hate on both, or either one, or one of the. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Uh. Over to Arrow. Um, <laughs> they have this. They put out this new season six trailer for Arrow, and it's uh, it's longer than the teaser, you know, uh, but contains some new footage. The emphasis is on Oliver's relationship with his son and the tension that will uh, create with him remaining the Green Arrow. Uh, nothing's too different, I think. Some uh, some cool editing, but uh, I think there's just mostly just dramatic rhetoric from Slade and quick shots along with uh, quick action shots along with that one overplayed shot now of "Tell me where the bad man is" and William like pointing at Oliver. I'm like, he's not six. Why are you guys acting like writing him like he's like four years old, six years old? Yeah. Uh, like it looks like he's damn near fourteen. Anyway. Um. <laughs> I, it, yeah, he's he's either a very traumatized or autistic fourteen year old in a lot of these shots. Right. Um, they're still playing it pretty close to the vest on who survived, though. Oh yeah. I, I don't know what's wrong with William. This is something that stood out about the trailer, though. Uh, is there's no team in it. Yeah. Like, it's just about William, kid, new characters, any of that. It's nothing about the actual, like, it's almost an inverse of an Arrow Season 5 trailer. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I'm getting I'm getting some negative vibes about Arrow Season 6 so far. But I, I, I'm, I've got high hopes anyway. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have negative vibes by any stretch yet. It just, uh. I do. They're gonna. I'm just really sick of seeing William point at Oliver. I like, am I am dude, sick of that shot. Why would he No doubt. I'm like, why would you think that he was the bad man? That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even make sense. You want you like hoped for him to help you. Yeah. While the bad the real bad man did what he I mean, oh my gosh, it's so stupid. Okay, but also that there is that actually makes more sense than it seems. Like it in a I in mean, a truly traumatic situation, most people don't remember details accurately. So So you're saying he just remembered Oliver being Prometheus, is that what you're saying? Kind of, yeah. Like, one of the best examples against uh, Eyewitness Testimony is um, a wonderful little experiment where they just sent someone in to basically shoot the place up and then ask everyone afterwards, like, what was going on? And most people couldn't 
even describe the color shirt the person had on. They described the wrong shooter in certain cases because they brought in a few people. Uh, it was it was a complete it was a circus. Um, uh-huh. Couldn't name the color shirt. Couldn't name the ethnicity of the person that shot. For God's sake, like couldn't name the amount of people or which shooter actually shot versus you know the two other people that didn't. Or yeah, it, the point is, in, in like a moment of crisis, people don't remember shit well. Yeah, that with any luck, they mentioned something like that instead of just having the, the poor kid point slowly upwards like he was <laughs> rising from the crypt to point at a haunted soul that had put him there. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty obvious, even I think from a kid's point of view. You have like a guy holding you with a gun to your head, and then your dad trying to save you. Gee, I wonder who's the good guy is. I don't know. It just seems dumb. It would it would seem pretty obvious. But it was also like the guy you'd been talking to for a few months. Like the guy you were more familiar with versus the guy you weren't in that case. And the guy you were more familiar with got confronted with the guy that you didn't know very well. And the guy you're familiar with killed himself. And then you were just stuck being hugged weirdly by the guy that you didn't know very well. Uh-huh. Maybe there's something there. Eh. I mean... We saw it was like episode eight or so where like Adrian approaches uh, William. So I mean they, yeah. they'd obviously had a lot of time to talk and bond, and probably way more than uh, Oliver ever had at that point. Yeah, sure. So maybe it is as simple as like we were on a boat. I don't know what happened. My guy's dead, and you're not. I don't. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't like the guy in green. That's what I know right now. They were both wearing green. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the guy that survived the green. Uh-huh. Anyway. Uh, so over in a recent interview, featurette Paul Blackthorne and Katie Cassidy admitted that their uh, scenes so far have been awkward and conflicted as the two try to figure out how to play their relationship a little differently this season. The executive producers almost commented because uh, they love the spotlight, apparently. <laughs> Wendy Miracle says it creates such an interesting cognitive dissonance for Oliver and especially for Lance. Thank you, Wendy. Mm-hmm. Mark Guggenheim says... We're going to keep playing with that. <laughs> All right. That's one of those. Yeah, no kidding. Over to Titans. They've uh, cast Lindsay Gort of the Carrie Diaries as uh, Amy Warbach in the upcoming Titans uh, show. Uh, she's uh, currently billed as a recurring role that will be a partner to uh, Brenton Thwaites, Dick Grayson. Uh, DC fans might possibly recognize her as Candy Morningstar from Lucifer. I thought she did a phenomenal job as Candy Morningstar. I'm happy that they're bringing in Andy, uh, Andy, Amy Rohrbach from the comics. I, I enjoyed her character quite a bit on the uh, Nightwing run, uh, where he was a cop, you know. That was good stuff. I, I liked her. Uh, so uh, that's, that's, that's awesome. I didn't, I, I, I really didn't know Amy Rohrbach at all, but uh, yeah, uh, the, the Morningstar girl did like a deceptively good job. Mm-hmm. You kind of get to the end of that episode yeah. and think, oh, man, well played. Yeah. Well played, actress. So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, Marv Wolfman was uh, talking about the new show. He says, my first reaction was way cool. Next was just keeping my fingers crossed that the characters, even with changes, would reflect the same attitudes and belief that we gave them. But then with Jeff Johns on it, we knew it would be excellent. His run of Titans was excellent. He says, "I don't care if they took if they look the exact same way they do in the comics. After all, I don't think too many six foot seven inch girls with natural gold skin and solid green eyes show up uh, at the casting call. Fair. What I care about is their character and personality. 
And that even with all the problems they face, that they pull together and do what's right. The Titans... Uh, Titans. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Titans to me are, when push comes to shove, optimists. All right. Um, I, I, the Titans. I did like... The Titans sounds hilarious. Um, if there's ever, like... If it's ever, like, uh, the Adam versus the Titans, it should be pronounced that way. Yeah. <laughs> or if he makes belts for them all, they can all shrink. Yeah. You know? um, so, apparently there's a, a Batman ninja. Batman ninja has been slated with the panel at the upcoming New York Comic Con. Here's the official description. Warner Brothers in Japan and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment team for an eye-popping addition to the Batman animated legacy with Batman Ninja, a spectacular all-new anime film coming in 2018. Be among the first to witness the premiere of colorful footage from this imaginative take on Batman and many of his connected characters. The last anime adaptation was 2008's Batman Gotham Knight. I did not care for Batman Gotham Knight. I will watch this because it is Batman. And uh, I I do like uh, a lot of uh, the staples of of anime as far as style goes. I'll be interested to see what they do. Uh, while I love the, the the artwork and the style of it, I feel like a lot of am, anime uh, doesn't really fit my Western narrative sensibilities. So I don't hold out a whole lot of hope that I'll enjoy the story so much. There's a lot of it <clears throat> that falls into that. Like the the style, I don't love. Um, even shot composition, like if you go back to th- 2008, I just, I don't care for where things come out of a frame. I mean, it just, it, it all, I don't know. I don't want to disparage it. I, I, I know it's a, I know it's just like a, an entire art form that I don't relate to, but I just don't. Yeah. I don't have any problem with the, with the shot composition to me. It's just, it's always the, the, the pacing in the narrative that always kind of bugs me. I can even get by the pacing because uh, a lot of times when you animate something, it comes across with a slightly kind of uncanny valley pacing that I can deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, for God's sake, we were raised on BTAS. Every now and then, there's a moment where you go, "Oh yeah, uh, Batman was uh, disgusted by something. His eyebrows should raise faster." We know that, uh-huh. you know? that kind of thing. Yeah, but eh, it's just something about the that style that I've, I've never been able to. I just can't get my claws in. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely see it at some point. Um, check it out. See what's what. I mean, I watched Arkham Knight. I just... You mean Gotham Knight? Gotham Knight, sorry. Yeah. I mean, that. well, that was like multiple... It was like an anthology with different... A lot of different uh, creators. Like, I liked a few of them, but I didn't like the overall product. Right. Uh, speaking of something that people don't like, uh, which is wildly popular, by the way, and they're going to keep doing, obviously, or else they wouldn't be making a movie. Warner Brothers just announced they're going to do a Teen Titans Go movie. Uh, it's going to be coming out on July 27th, 2018, in movie theaters. Um, I've seen this uh, all over Facebook, and there are a lot of people putting those those angry faces, you know, the angry emoji. Sure. Uh, there are a lot of people who just hate Teen Titans Go. I, I don't watch it regularly, but what I've seen is freaking great it's hilarious um and i don't know all these people who are so angry about it and kiss my ass what was mainly because i just i feel like what was the dude, song you sent me no you sent me an episode I don't know. maybe and uh the... i know it sent you a thing where they like had like in the background they had like batman v superman jokes and stuff and they had like an urn with they had jason todd's urn in the background next to a crowbar no, you, you, on a shelf you sent me that too but it was like uh, cyborg's favorite song 
uh, <laughs> Dark of the Night or uh, maybe I don't know. Bright of the Night or whatever. Shining. I'm not sure night. that was me. Definitely was. That's gonna that's gonna hurt me. Well, look, man. It, you know, if you don't like it, don't like it. It's for kids. Uh, but they have some really adult stuff in there as well for us to catch if we want to watch it. Um, I enjoy the show when I actually do watch it. Um, I keep meaning to go back and uh, and watch it, but I just, you know, I'm busy. There you go. The night begins to shine. Okay. Um, I am aggravated by people who are so vehemently against this sort of thing. Just don't watch it, dude. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Why are no, you I'm mad? Glad getting, Why are you angry like, that kids are going to watch the thing? <laughs> I Like... I'm I'm never gonna watch that, but uh, I probably will. I'm pretty pretty happy for anybody who's getting it. I mean, there uh, like people. I mean, people love the show, just adore mm-hmm. it. So hell, good for them, man. Yeah, not everything that DC Entertainment puts out has to be exactly what you want it to be. Whoever you are, oh, it by definition is, cannot be. Yeah, it can't be. Have we not learned that lesson? That people who hate the dceu or whatever you want to call it just calm the hell down yeah. i would think at this point if anything we've learned that we're not all going to get along on every property uh nobody uh, nobody knows this everyone's just pissed off it's a real bummer <laughs> it, it, it you know really what? is I, like, I have I, my opinions i'm super sad that like we're, we're in a generation where we're what disappointed they're going to do a teen titans go movie yeah we're living in spoils come on but have you know some what i uh, I just bitched about Supergirl for 20 minutes. What do you want? Oh, no. You know? The new feature, featured Joker film might not be part of the connected universe. Come on, man. We're living in spoils. Yeah, we are. I like, you know, I acknowledge that, though, at least. Like, Supergirl is, you know, miles better than, and I'll probably get some shit for this, but it's better than Lois and Clark, man. Oh, it really is. No, don't, yeah. Don't bother with the shit about that. It is. It's, it's, it's an upgrade over... It's actually tonally that show is not too different, but it, it's still I, I think an upgrade. I mean, we we just we're, we're living in blessed times. Yeah, as much as we want to disagree with it, and I I love the disagreements and the arguments. Um, God, don't we have, don't we have to acknowledge that this is like there's a lot of stuff going on that twenty years ago you wouldn't have even hoped for. Yeah, it's weird because like I understand the notion of being annoyed by something that doesn't really. I don't know, fit your, 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 your process or like what you feel like the character is. Um, I do get upset when people are like, they ruined the character. Well, I don't really even feel that way about Nolan's Batman. And you know, I don't like the, I don't like Dark Knight Rises. I don't feel like it ruined Batman. Clearly Batman is still a heavy moneymaker and still around. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you can't ruin an icon. You can't change a memory. Yeah. Uh, necessarily. And we uh, didn't like that. We didn't like that movie in particular, but it, it's not like it ruined the character. It like even that iteration has its strong points and big strong points. Mm-hmm. But eh, yeah, there's some flaws. Anyway, oh, so much, so <laughs> many. Anyway, uh, I'm excited that Teen Titans Go is coming out. I probably won't go to the movie theater to see it, but uh, you know, I'll watch it eventually. Yeah, I know I will. I'll get around to it unless I die. Uh. <laughs> So quickly to some fan feedback here. Uh, earlier this week, we posted our top 10 Batman the Animated Series episodes. I uh, encourage you to go check that out if uh, you're so inclined to watch and enjoy the Batman Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Um, 
NerdyTastic, one of our followers on Twitter, said, is taking all of the willpower I have to continue concentrating on work and not go and make my list right now. And then she did go and make her own list. And it was a whole list of top ten episodes and honorable mentions for Batman the Animated Series, Batman Beyond, Superman the Animated Series, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. Um, and she also said, you should do an episode about your top tens for the other shows, too. I think we have intentions of doing so at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not very soon, but at some point we will. And um, I, that was something that uh, that Wobbly Boots wanted, Wobbly Boots eighty five wanted as well. So uh, we, we will eventually do that. But uh, nerdy tastic guys, go to, uh, follow her on Twitter. Uh, she's a lot of fun to talk to. Really, I mean, I have a lot of fun talking to everybody on Twitter, and uh, she's one of our uh, our. our uh, how do you say it without sounding rude? standards or old faithful i don't know what you say <laughs> she, she's always got something to say about our about our show and it's it's nice it's a good thing uh <laughs> it's a good thing most reliable interactions yeah yeah one of my our most our, one of our most loyal listeners i would say <laughs> that'll work um <laughs> anyway i think that's gonna do it for this episode what say you buddy yeah let's call it all right. We are DC On Screen. You can find every episode of DC On Screen at dconscreen.com. Uh, proud members of the Giant Size Team Up Network. You'll hear about that in the outro a little bit more. Uh, that was, uh, I didn't mean to mention that, but it's totally habit at this point. Uh, if you want to hit us up on Twitter, DC On Screen, Facebook, you can like us there. Uh, 205-259-6331 to leave us a voicemail. And you know what really helps us out is if you give us a, uh, a, a you know, a positive uh, rating and review over on iTunes. Helps people find us. Helps to ensure that we'll be around if you want to keep hearing us rattle on about these things. And uh, forgive us our trespasses for we know not what we do. And until next time, keep some DC on your screen. Our opening narration was from Dan Jurgens, The History of the DC Universe, Part 3 of 10, as featured in DC 52 Week 4. It was performed by me, David Z. Robertson. Intro music by Jason Goss and Michael Shackelford. Michael's band Future Elevators can be found on Spotify or future-elevators.com. Our introduction was performed by Eli Ophelders of Stealing the Remote, which lives on SoundCloud and can be found on iTunes and Stitcher. We're a proud member of the Giant Size Team Up Network, GiantSizeTeamUp.com. DC On Screen is a maladjusted production. Visit maladjusted.tv for more from me and Jason, including sketch comedy and improvised web series, vlogs, parodies, and more. Are you maladjusted? Now more than ever, it's important for you and your family to enjoy the spaces you're in most often. Visit fergusonshowrooms.com to shop online or schedule a personalized consultation to meet with our experts at your local Ferguson bath, kitchen, and lighting gallery. Together, we'll help you make the most of home and create a space you'll love to live in. Get started on your project and discover extraordinary products like the Pro Grand Range by Thermidor. Look around you, that car you're driving, that house your family lives in, making your daughter laugh, inspiring her to dream. You did that. Teaching your son to drive, teaching him he can be anything, all you. And your dreams for tomorrow, you'll do that too. Legacies don't just happen, they are made by you. The important word being you.
American Family Insurance, protecting your dreams as you achieve them. Insure carefully, dream fearlessly. Products not available in every state. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.